I want to spend our time tonight, our short time tonight, uh, talking about the all-sufficient Word of God. The all-sufficient Word of God. We govern ourselves by this book. Uh, and so I think it's good for us to come together tonight to let the weight of the scriptures just bear its weight on us and let us find that the word of God is sufficient for all things. Let's pray. Father, uh, as your word says in Psalms 19, um, it, it tells us that uh, the word of God makes wise the simple uh, and it revives the soul. And so, Father, I I pray tonight for our time together, pray that you would be glorified, pray that as we get into your word, um, that your Holy Spirit would be present. Father, it is absolutely impossible for um, us to preach. It's impossible for us to hear uh, without the Holy Spirit illuminating our thoughts, illuminating our minds. And so, Father, I pray that the word would speak to us tonight and guide us, and, and I pray that we would not walk away and merely have heard the word, but pray that we would seek to apply it and that we would be doers of your word, uh, not deceiving ourselves. Be glorified in our time. It's in Christ's name we do give glory. Amen. You may be seated. In the past, generations before us fought over different things as it related to the word of God. And so we would see them fight over things like the inerrancy of scripture, right? The inerrancy of scripture, that means that the word of God is perfect and it's without error. And so we saw that the old church fought over that. And, and we saw that they fought over things like the word of God being infallible. That means that not only is it perfect and, it without, and it's without error, but that it's incapable of error. It's not even capable of error. We also saw that they would fight over the divine authorship of the scriptures. Did God actually use and empower human beings to author his specific word? And so we saw that the early church used to fight over things like, like that. I am realizing that in my time and in, in my generation, those are not the necessarily the things that we're fighting over anymore. Now we're fighting over as a church for everyone to find that the scriptures are sufficient, that they are necessary, and that everything you need can be found in the word of God. Wayne Grudem, uh, he's an author of a book called Systematic Theology. It's the, uh, the book that Pastor Larry is taking over to um, Africa and to Malawi to train uh, the theological development team there. Wayne Grudem defines uh, sufficiency of scripture as this. He said, the sufficiency of scripture means that the scriptures contain all of the words of God he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history and that it now contains all of the word of God we need for salvation, for trusting in, in him perfectly, and for obedience. Did you hear that? The word of God is sufficient for salvation, for trusting in him perfectly, and for the obedience that we all need. Here's the truth of the matter. Many of us, many of us in here profess that we believe that the scriptures are all sufficient. But when the rubber meets the road, when trials hit, we run to so many other things for comfort. We run to so many other things for counsel. You know where, what's sufficient over your life when, you, when turmoil hits your life, and where do you run to seek counsel? Do you run to friends alone? Now, I'm not saying you can't find counsel and friends, but do you run to those places alone? Or do you find that the word of God is sufficient 
even in the trial that you are in. No matter what the trial is, the scriptures can speak to it. And so I want to focus our time in tonight on the sufficiency of scripture. scripture. Charles Spurgeon, which was a famous theologian, but he, w- he was a pastor of the Metropolitan Baptist Church in uh, London, England in the mid-1800s. He said this. He said that we should visit many good books, but we should live in the Bible. We should live in the scriptures. There's not a day that goes by that we should not find ourselves seeking counsel from the word of God. I, I, I remember when I first came to Epiphany in 2010, March of 2010, I was just, I, I was blown away by how much Pastor E loved the word of God. I was blown away by it. I remember going to him and said, man, I, I just want to, I want to I learn more. What books should I be reading? Give me some books that, I, that can help me to grow. And as I'm asking for books, he says, read the Bible. Like, don't, don't read any. You don't need anything else. The, the word of God is sufficient. I also remember a couple of weeks ago coming to Pastor Nyron, and, and as we're transitioning ourselves to Brooklyn, for the first time, my wife and I will be um, living off of one paycheck, right? She's not going to work when we first get to Brooklyn, and she helps to uh, uh, get the kids settled into Brooklyn. And so we're going to be living off of one paycheck. So I text Pastor Nyron. I said, Pastor Nyron. You know, I'm having some anxiety over moving to one paycheck. Can you can you uh, can can you tell me some books, some good books on stewardship and finances? He said, "Yeah, Proverbs." So I'm like, "All right, cool." And he he shot me a bunch of scriptures and proverbs, and it was helpful for me. I, even Paul Tripp, I don't know if you guys know him, Doctor Tripp. He comes here sometimes, and well-known author, just a great theological thinker, just a great contributor to the body of Christ. Uh, I had a chance to talk to him, and I'm like, man, you're such a great author. What do you read? What encourages you? And, and, uh, and he said, you know what? Lamentations right now. So I'm like, man, a- a- over and over again, I keep hearing these guys that, that I look up to point me back to the scriptures, always pointing me back in the scriptures. Why? Because the scriptures are sufficient for all things. And so we are now in Psalms 119. Psalms 119, as many of you know, is the longest chapter in the Bible. There's no chapter that's longer than Psalms 119. Now, we don't know who the author of Psalms 119 is. Many people say that is David. Some people say that is Ezra. Some people say that is Daniel. The truth of the matter is, if you read all of Psalms 119, it doesn't matter who the author is. You will pick up and realize pretty quickly that the writer of Psalms 119 was absolutely in love with the word of God. It's 176 verses. Do you realize that only three verses out of 176 do not talk about the love for the, for the word of God? Only three verses don't talk about the scriptures. The rest, that's 173 verses back to back to back that the writer talks about the law in some way. So he may say the commandments, he may say the law, he may say your statutes, but he always finds himself back into the word of God. And so right now in, in, in the passage we're in, this is a prayer, right? Psalms 119 verses 97 through 104, the writer busts out in a prayer. But what's interesting about this prayer is that he makes no petition. He doesn't ask for anything. He just simply wants to talk about his love, devotion, and affections for the word of God. The question I have before we exegetically walk through these, past, these verses is, do you have genuine, authentic love for the word of God? It's a rhetorical question. Don't answer. Do you 
love. I'm not saying do you read it. I'm not saying do you get to life group and, and, and study it. I'm not saying do you memorize it. Do you love the word of God? Look at what the, the psalmist says. This is how much he loved it. He opens up by saying, oh, how I love your law. He didn't say, oh, how I believe your law. He didn't say, oh, how I proclaim your law. And these are all good things. But he gives a personal testimony of his affections for the word of God. He says, oh, how I love your law. When he says love, this is deeper than just proclaiming it because his love will actually inform how he proclaims it. His love will inform how he believes it. But the writer just simply says, I love your law. What I love about this is this is not a command for anybody else. He's not saying you should love his law. He's just simply talking about a personal testimony for him. I love your law is what he's saying. And if you really think about this, he's not, this love for the word of God, his devotion for the word of God had nothing to do with circumstances. He's not looking back at a time that he loved the word of God. He's not looking forward at a time where he will love the word of God. This is a present testimony. Right now, I love your word. And it's interesting he says that because he does not let circumstances dictate his love for the word of God. Because if you read through Psalms 119, you'll see that he had some tough times, right? There was plots in this, in this book. There was slanders. There was taunts. There was persecution in this book. There was affliction in this book. In fact, verse number 28 of this same, uh, of this same chapter says, my soul melts away for sorrow. And, and so we know he had hard times. But even then he said, but strengthen me according to your word. So even when he had hard times, he did not let that sway his love for the word of God. Family of God, when you go through things, do you let circumstances and trials sway how you feel about the word of God? Do you let it sway your love for it? Do you let it, do you close the book and say, you know what, I'm going through something right now. I'm not going to read the book. But this writer in a present testimony says, I love your word now. I didn't used to love it, but then a, a trial hit me and I stopped loving it. But I love your word even now I love your word. Because that, that's the truth of the matter. Some of us only love the word when we're being promised blessings. We love the word when we're, when we're being told what's, gonna, what's great going to happen. But this writer, nothing informs us that anything great is happening. He just sits there and says, man, I just love the word of God. And so... The hard time to love it is when the Bible is actually getting at you. You ever read the word of God and you were just going through devotional time or maybe somebody was preaching or you were listening to podcasts and the word was cutting you deep? In that moment, the writer says, I love the word of God. I, I, I was prepping for a sermon that I had to preach at a church in, uh, in Brooklyn, uh, Apostles Brooklyn. And as, as I'm prepping, they, they were going through the book of Ephesians and uh, we got to Ephesians chapter 4, and so they asked me to, to weigh in on Ephesians 4. So I preached a sermon from Ephesians 4, and so as I'm, as I'm reading through it, I get to, this is in my preparation time, I get to verse number 29 of Ephesians chapter 4. And verse number 29 says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth except that, that, uh, except that in which will build up. So let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. And as I'm, as I'm prepping and I'm reading it, at first I didn't feel any conviction until I realized that Paul wasn't just excluding marriage. And so, so what I'm saying is it was easy for me 
right? It was easy for me to say, well, no corrupt talk comes out of my mouth. I build people up. But the truth of the matter is I can build you up to your face, and then I can, I can get with my wife at pillow talk and tear you down. Let's not act like in marriage, like we, we don't say things that are harsh. But Paul, I realized when I was going through my preparation time, I realized that Paul wasn't exempting marriage. And so as I'm, as I'm reading through, the word of God convicted me. As I was confronted with my sin, in those moments, the question is, do you love the word of God still, even though it's coming up your block? Even though it's getting you, do you still love the word of God? And are you still devoted to the word of God, even when it confronts your sin? But look at what he says. He moves on in the B part, verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. This doesn't mean he sat in a room and read the word of God all day. This means as he was going through life, this means that as he was making decisions, as he was in conversations, he was letting the word of God inform those thoughts. And so you'll know your love for the word of God by how much you meditate on it. Think about that. How much you meditate on the word of God shows how much you love the word. I, when I go throughout my day, I love my wife. I do. I love my wife. And when I go throughout my day, there are times I just think about her. Any married person can, can agree with that. You just think sometimes I'll shoot her a text and I just say I love you. Because I'm meditating on her. I love her and I'm thinking about her through, throughout the day. The question is, does the Bible come on your mind at any part of the day? Does it come on your mind at any part of the day? The Bible should be such a normal part to our life that when we skip devotion time, you should feel like a mess. You should feel like something's wrong, something's off. Now, some people get upset when you, you leave your phone home. You'll get upset if you get a flat tire. But there's other people that are devoted deeply to the word of God that if they skip time in the word of God, their whole day is messed up. That's how we need to get, that's how the writer was. He said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I just think about it all the day, all day. But then he goes from talking about his love for the word of God and how that moved him to application. His love for the word of God didn't just stop with love, but his love moved him to think about it. And so as we go throughout our day, that's what we should be doing. But he gives us, the writer is now going to give us three comparisons to how the word of God makes us wiser than certain things. He's going to give us three comparisons. So let's just walk through this. We'll be up and down a bit, but let's just walk through it. Verse 98, he says this. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. So the, the first thing I thought about when I read that verse is, man, love for the word of God does not exempt us from having enemies. It doesn't exempt you from it. You'll still have enemies. But what the writer is saying is my love and devotion to the word of God should not keep me up trying to think about my next move to be a, a step ahead of my enemy. I don't, I don't have to think, I don't have to have sleepless, sleepless nights. All I have to do is get into the word of God. Why? Because the Bible says that his commandments make me wiser than my enemies. It makes you wiser than your enemies. That means obeying the word of God always keeps you 10 steps ahead of your enemy. But whenever we read enemy in the scripture, we always think of a physical enemy, right? We always think of a person. But your greatest enemy is not people. Your greatest enemy is Satan himself. 
the word is telling us that the commandments of God, the holy scriptures, the infallible word of God keeps me 10 steps ahead of even Satan. That's good news. That is the sufficiency of the word of God. How do I know that enemies doesn't just relate to physical enemies? Because Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12 says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Right? We don't just wrestle with each other. But our greatest enemy is the enemy of our soul. And so the, the enemy doesn't just come, as Jesus said in John chapter 10, the enemy comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. So he, he doesn't want to borrow from you. Right? He wants to steal. He, he doesn't want to just hurt you. He wants to kill. He doesn't want to just mangle over you, but he wants to destroy. That's what Jesus' word says. But the writer in Psalm is now telling us that devotion to the word of God keeps us 10 steps ahead of that. That is good news for anybody that knows that the enemy has been. Is, is anybody in here saying, you know, the enemy does be on my trail. The enemy does bother me. But the word of God is now telling us we're, we're 10 steps ahead of him. We're wiser than our enemy, the devil himself. How do I know that the word of God, I, last time I preached, I talked about this. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the first promise of salvation is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And the first promise of salvation did not just refer to Adam's um, um, sin, but it also talked about destroying Adam's enemy, right? You'll strike his heel, but his heel, but he'll crush your head. And so now we know that Jesus Christ has defeated the enemy according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That is how we know and we can have assurance that the word of God makes us wiser than our enemy, makes us wiser than the devil himself. Jesus even used the word in Matthew chapter 4. Remember when he was tempted and he used the word of God? What did he say? For it is written. He said it three times. For it is written. For it is written. For it is, ri it is written. He, Jesus used three verses to defeat the enemy. But we have 66 books. How much more victory should we have over the enemy? But yet all of us, most of us, get succumbed to the enemy. Why? Because we're not devoted to the word of God. When the word simply says in verse 98, the commandments make me wiser than my enemy. Jesus, Jesus, the one that's created all things, the one in which everything is sustained by and holds together in, use the word of God to defeat the enemy. We should be using the word of God to defeat the enemy as well. I was with Pastor, or we, we Skyped in this week, Pastor Tommy, uh, Pastor Watson, and myself. We just wanted to get together and just pray about the church plants and pray about some of the fears and some of the things that are going on. You know, church planting, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. And so we just wanted to get together and just say, man, here's some of my fears. Here's some of the things that are going on. And, and the great part about it is, man, we got off that, and Pastor Tommy's here, we got off that, that Skype and just felt encouraged because we spent our time in the word of God. And, and I remember sharing with them, I said, man, like, if outside of the word of God, like, I, I'm a coward when it comes to the enemy. And, and so I remember saying to them, if I'm, if I'm going to hide, I'm going to hide behind the text. I'm going to hide behind the word of God. Why? Because the writer tells me it makes me wiser than even my enemy. That's encouraging news. Look at verse number 99. So at first he says we're wiser than our enemies. Now he's going to give us the second comparison. Verse 99, he says, I have more understanding 
and all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Let me go back to the first part of that. I have more understanding than even my teachers. Notice he didn't say, I know more than my teachers. That indeed would be an arrogant statement. But it is quite possible that he has more understanding than even his teachers. This points out that being wiser than my teacher has nothing to do with a bunch of information. It has nothing to do with a bunch of information. He said, I have more understanding than my teacher. Charles Spurgeon, which I just quoted, said this as well. He said, we may hear the wisest teachers and remain fools, but if we meditate upon the sacred word, we must become wise. There is more wisdom in the testimonies of the Lord than in all the teachings of men. If they were all gathered into one vast library, the book of books outweighs them all. It's what Charles Spurgeon said. If all of the information in the world, everything that is on YouTube, everything that's on Google, if all of it was captured into one library, this book has more wisdom than all of that information put together. And so when the, when the, when the writer says, I have more understanding than my teacher, he's not simply talking about information. Because you may not have more information than your teacher. But he's talking, when he says understanding, the word he's using for that is insight. I have more insight than my teacher. That is absolutely possible. Why is that possible? Remember Matthew 16 when Jesus said to the disciples, he rolls up on them and he says, who do men say that I am? They said, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, some say you're one of the prophets. And then he said, okay, but who do you say that I am? So the, the disciples told them, who the world was saying he was. But then he said, who do you say that I am? And what did, what, did, what did Peter say? Peter stood up and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What was Jesus' response? Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. That's insight, right? That doesn't mean Peter had more information than the rest of the world. That just simply means that he had insight. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Having the eyes of his heart enlightened, he had an understanding that even the wisest men did not have. And that is what the word of God will do. It will make you wiser than even your teachers. The ones that are teaching you, the word of God makes you wiser than even them. Let's keep going because that's number two. So first, the word of God makes me wiser than my enemies. Are you, you guys tracking with me all right? The word of God makes me wiser than my enemies. The word of God makes me have more understanding than my teachers. And then third, he says, for I understand more than the aged. So in the culture and time when, when this was written, just like the culture now, they gave a lot of honor and respect to their elders, to the old elders as an older people. And, and so as you are older, the culture then and now says, well, since you're older and you lived a little bit, that you're wise, right? We all say that. You get gray hair, you get some gray, you get one gray hair, and people are like, oh, you're getting wise, right? But the writer is saying that I have more understanding than even those that are aged. That's what the writer is saying. And so experience isn't always the best teacher, Say what you want. Experience isn't always the best teacher. The best teacher is the word of God because it makes me wiser than even the age. And so you don't have to wait until you get gray hair. 
You don't have to wait until you get a lot of miles on you for wisdom. If you get into the word of God, you will be taught wisdom. How do I know that? James 1.5. James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask me for it. And what does God say? And I give it generously. And so if you lack wisdom, we can ask God for it, go into the scriptures, put our face into the book, and be wiser than even the aged. So the word of God now makes us wiser than our enemies. It makes us have more understanding than our teachers, and it makes us wiser and have more understanding than even the aged. But look at, look at what understanding, what is, look at what wisdom does. Because we often think that wisdom is just having a bunch of information, even theologically. I'm wise if I just know a lot. But the, but the writer isn't saying that. Look at what he says in verse 100. For I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. And so he's not gauging wisdom based off of the information he's obtaining. He's basing wisdom on what he does with the information that he's getting. Look at what he says. He says, I have more understanding than the age, for I keep your precepts. And so I have more understanding than the age. I'm wise not because... I understand a lot. I'm wise because I do a lot with what I understand. And that is a maturing Christian. A maturing Christian does not seek to just memorize the word of God. But a maturing Christian looks to be a doer of the word of God. If you just come in here every Sunday and hear the word of God and say amen and listen to Pastor E make up words, y'all know he does it. If you come in here for that every single Sunday, and then walk out and do nothing with the word of God. You're a fool. But the word of God, I, 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 wanted, I want you to feel that. I, I wanted you to feel it. You're a fool if you walk out and do nothing with the word of God. But the word of God, the wisdom that's found in the word of God is not just hearing it, but it's actually doing the word of God. How do I know that? Matthew 7, 24 says this. Jesus said it. Jesus said, everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be wise. Jesus just doesn't say everyone who hears the word in Matthew 7, 24. If you hear the word, you're wise. No, he said if you hear the word and do the word, then you'll be wise. That's, that's what the word of God does. Maturing Christians lean in the word, not just for information, but they lean in it because they want to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. Let's keep moving. Verse 101. It says, I hold back my feet in every evil way in order to keep your word. Let me read that again. I hold back my feet. That means I restrain my feet. So that means that the writer doesn't paint this picture that holding back my feet from sin is easy. He said I restrain it. That's what the word means. Hold back. I restrain. I restrain my feet. And, and you, you got to look at it through if you skip down to verse 105 where it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God helps us to stay off of the evil way. Verse 101, I hold back my feet from every evil way. Why do I do that? Because I want to keep the word of God. And so I hold back my feet from every evil way. So the word of God keeps us off the evil way. But if you look down to the next verse, it doesn't just hold us back from the evil way, it keeps us on the right path as well. Look at verse 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. So I hold back my feet from every evil way. 
But verse 102, I do not turn aside from your rules. I, I, stay, on this, I stay on the right path. The word of God keeps me off the, off the wrong path, but the word of God also keeps me on the right path. Are you understanding our need for the word of God? Are you understanding our, 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 the, the writer's heart for why he loves the word? Because it keeps him off the evil path, but it also keeps him on the right path. Look at the second part of uh, 102. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Please keep in mind that this is a prayer. Don't lose sight of the fact that the writer is praying right now. And so when he says, you have taught me, he's talking to God. And so this points to the authority of Scripture. This is the writer saying, you have taught me. He's basically saying that your word, through your word, I hear the voice of God. See, I think sometimes when we read the Scriptures and we we go throughout the Scriptures, we just think that is a, a nice story. Right. We just read it and like, oh, that, that was a that was a great thought. But no, the writer is saying that you have taught me. He's basically saying that you from your word, this word is given directly from God. He is pointing to the authority of Scripture, even the early church. Right. Paul in First Corinthians 14, where we are now uh, in our in our study as we're going through the book of First Corinthians. If you get to verse 37, Paul says that what I am writing is a commandment from the Lord. So the early church would have looked at the letters that Paul got as actual words from the Lord. And us as a church, we have to, when we hear the word of God, when we read the word of God, we have to know that this is the word, the actual speaking word of God bearing its weight on us. You can't just read it like it's a novel or like it's some cute book. It, it's, it's not... It's not just some historical book. It's an authoritative book given to man, inspired by the Holy Spirit, words from God written to us. That is what it is. And you can't read the word without thinking of it that way. Let's keep moving so we can finish up. Where am I at? I'm in verse 103. He says in verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So he's talking about the taste now. He's talking about satisfaction. That's what he's talking about in this verse. He, that, that your word is sweeter to me than a honeycomb. That, that's probably the sweetest thing that they could think about is honey. And the word of God is sweeter than even that is what the writer is saying. Right? This is Deuteronomy 8. Man shall not live by bread alone. This is us feeding off of the word of God. And, and, and if we occupy our time in the word of God, Many of us will stop trying to find satisfaction from other places. Most of us find satisfaction from so many other places because we haven't devoted ourselves in the word of God. I mean, you, and when you do that, when you go into the world hungry and not full of the word of God, you will find yourself picking up things that you should not pick up. My mother used to say, my mother used to say, the worst time to go to the store is when you're hungry. Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, because you pick up a bunch of junk that you don't need. You're picking up cookies and cakes. You ain't pick up no, no vegetables, because you're hungry. And the worst time to go to the store, that's the same thing. The worst time to go out into the world is when you have not feasted off the word of God, because it's sweeter than the honey on a honeycomb. So what the, that's what the writer is saying. And my boys do this, man. When I, when I cook dinner, and I, I'm not a great cook, but when I cook dinner, my kids will will come into the kitchen and say, can I have some cookies? Can I have some cake? 
and, and depending on how long it is, you know, I'll, I'll give them something. And many times it'll spoil their appetite. And so what happens is many of us have spoiled appetites because we haven't, fe- we don't even want the word because we're satisfied with so many, we think we're satisfied with so many other things. And so we, it births malnutrition Christians. When you're feasting on a whole bunch of other stuff and not feasting off the word of God, you're not growing. If you feed, if you just eat cookies and cake for the rest of your life, think about how sick you would be. And many Christians are spiritually sick because they have not devoted themselves to the word of God. He says, how sweet are your words to me? Like the word, the word of God's sweet to you. The writer is saying that the word of God is sweet to me. But he says in verse 104, he says, through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. This is beautiful because he starts in verse 97 by saying, I love your law. By the time he gets to 104, he's talking about how he hates, right, how he hates every false way. So he starts saying love. He ends by saying that he hates the false way. He hates sin. And that's exactly what devotion to the word of the Lord will do. The devotion and love and affection for the word of God will make you hate even sin. Even sin, you'll, you'll begin to see the sin in your own heart and hate it. When you read the word of God, that, and I've heard the old saints used to say that, when you read the word of God, it's, it's actually reading you. Anybody ever read it and just been so convicted? And that is what the word of God is supposed to do. It's supposed to convict you, and it's supposed to make you say, ah, I hate even every false way. He doesn't just say, this is the beautiful part of what he said. He doesn't just say, I hate the consequences of the false way. He says, I hate the false way itself. I don't just hate what the, what the, what the sin does as a consequence. I hate the sin itself. That is what the devotion to the word of the Lord will do. So as we end our time, I got four minutes, and I want to I be faithful to that four minutes. As we end our time, the believer loves the word of God because it points us to our Savior. It points us to Jesus. Why? Because he's the fulfillment of it all. I say this, I say this all the time in Luke chapter 24 because it's just so true. When, when the disciples were on the, 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 uh, the road to Emmaus, and they were depressed because their king had died. They were depressed. They didn't know what to expect. And Jesus comes to them. And what do they say? Did not our hearts burn within when he opened the scriptures to us? Like, our hearts burned with fire because of the scripture. Many of us have cold hearts. But the scriptures should make your heart burn. The disciples said, our hearts burned within when Jesus opened to us the scripture. But what did Jesus say when he opened the scripture? He says, beginning with Moses and all of the prophets and all of scripture, he interpreted to them the things concerning himself. And so the, the believer loves the word of God because it, it's a story about our Savior. Remember in, in John 5, he said that too. He, he, told the, he told the Pharisees, which, by the way, were theological beasts with the scriptures. They memorized the whole Torah. The first five books, they memorized them. Jesus comes to them and says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you find life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. The whole thing is about Jesus. And so we love and devote ourselves to this word because this word shows us our Savior. This word shows us Jesus Christ. And so maybe you're in here and you 
you, you've slacked off with your time of devotion. Maybe, maybe you, you, you participated in solemn assembly last week, and you started to gain some, some momentum with your time with the Lord. I, I want to I wanna just, would just tell you, man, you, man, you can devote yourself to this word. The, you, many of us lack discipline when it comes to the word, but we have discipline in so many other areas. Pay our bills on time, right? We, we pick up our kids on time. We were disciplined. We go to work on time. But when it comes to the word, we're lackadaisical. But the word of God should be the first thing. The first thing your face should be in in the morning is the word of God. That's why Lamentation says every morning your mercies are new. Every single. Think about that. Every single morning, the mercy of God, the wrath of God is held back. That should push you to want to read and, and devote yourself to this word. Do you realize that as a church and even in your life, um, th- this book holds so much weight and so much, at least here at Epiphany Fellowship, I, I sit in every single elders meeting, every elders meeting. I don't, I don't, I'm not an elder here, so I, I don't weigh in on the elders meetings, but I sit as a fly on the wall in every elders meeting. And I'm going to let you in on a little insight. The elders direct this church based off of what this word says. I'm telling you, if it's not in this word, they ain't doing it. You should be grateful that you're at a church that holds the Bible in such a high esteem. We don't play with this word. And so as the same way, every single believer in here should devote themselves to the word of God the same way. Maybe you're in here. I got 41 seconds, and I'm going to hold to it. Maybe you're in here, and, and you... You don't, you don't know, Jesus. You've tried to read the word. It's confusing. Even, even Peter said Paul's words were confusing. You know the Bible's confusing when the Bible says it's confusing. Even Peter said it. He said what some of the words Paul writes is confusing. But, but who's discipling you? Who's walking with you? And so all of us need to have a greater hunger and thirst for the word of God. Maybe you're in here and, and you, you want to have a deeper devotion to the word of God. I don't want to do anything spooky. I don't want to lay no hands. I don't want nobody falling out. I just want to pray for you. I want to pray for us, not just you. I want to pray for all of us that we would submit ourselves deeply under the word of God, that we wouldn't just treat the word of God as a history book, but we would treat it as what it is. It's authoritative. It has power. It has power. And so maybe you're in here. Don't be embarrassed. If you know, if you're honest and say, man, I haven't devoted myself to the word. I I really don't push myself in the word. Can you do me a favor and just stand up as, where's Chris at? If we can get some music going at the same time. If you could just, if you could just stand. I I don't, I just want to pray with you. I want to, I'm standing with you. I want to devote myself deeper to the word of God. If you, if you know, if you're honest and you're saying, man, I, I don't, I don't read it like I, like I should. And maybe I do read it like I should, but I don't really devote myself under the word like I should. This year, I want to have a deeper, I want to have a deeper walk with the Lord based on his word. I just want to pray. That's all. And we can end our night. We can go home. Look at all these people that are standing that are honest. This is great. Let me pray. Father, I I first want to confess our sin. You said that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and you're just and you'll forgive us of our sin and you'll purify us from all unrighteousness. Father, we in this room 
that are standing, and I'm standing here too, if we're honest, we have not completely trusted the word of God in a way that we believe it and that it's sufficient for all things. We've read it. We've, we've, we've opened up and just grabbed the scripture and kept going through our day. But we haven't devoted ourselves deeply to the word of God as the writer here. Father, we want to have the testimony that's in verse 97. We want to be able to say, oh, how I love your law. We want to be able to have that personal testimony. And Father, it starts with you opening our hearts and our minds. Give us a greater discipline tonight. Father, we need discipline. We do. We need you to convict us when we go a day and haven't gotten to this word. Father, give us tools to encourage us in the word. Father, surround us with people that will hold us accountable to the word of God. People that will pull us aside and say, hey, tell me what you're chewing on in the word of God right now. What, 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 you, what are you working through? What book are you working through? What, what text is convicting you right now? What text is encouraging you right now? Give us those type of people in our life. Father, we, we, we know, if, if we're honest, we know that, that, we, that we don't really put ourselves in this word. And Father, I, I just pray for, uh, first, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that, that we can walk out of here and have a clean slate. Those that know you have a clean slate. Father, let that stir our affections for the word of God. Father, we submit our time to you and we give you all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.